Well, I want to encourage you to take your bulletin. There's an outline in there. And ask you if you have heard about the latest poll. You're thinking, oh, God, good grief, another poll. We've heard one poll after another during this presidential uh, interminable political season, right? Well, this isn't a presidential poll. This is actually a survey that was taken by the Gallup organization nationwide regarding the 30 topics in this Believe series. We're on our 29th week now. But we began with 10 things we believe as Christians and then 10 behaviors that we want to exhibit as followers of Christ. And now we're in 10 virtues that should be expressed through our lives as we're becoming like Christ. So they were asked in this survey, which one do you struggle with the most? Gentleness came in dead last. And that's what we're at this morning and that you'll be reading about in your Believe books and discussing in your Ohana groups this week. Gentleness. The question that tripped people up was, are you someone who raises their voice? People said, oh, no, you know. But I want to ask you a question. Can you be soft-spoken and still not be gentle? I think so. You may be rather quiet and yet... Rude, indifferent, critical, uh, and agitated within. But nobody really knows it except you. Well, we want to talk about how to become gentle. Our key idea this week is, I am thoughtful, considerate, and calm in my dealings with others. If that's you, you can encourage the rest of us. If you struggle with that, there's real hope. Because uh, our key verse comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 this week. Let's read it together. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. We want to consider how he's near, how he helps us in our gentleness. But before we do, I want you to think about how come we're not so gentle in our culture and maybe personally I've given it a little thought this week. I've come up with a couple of reasons I'll share with you. Here's the first. The virtue of gentleness has been devalued because our culture mocks the concept. Gentleness is not really prized in our American culture. Consider the political scene, if you would. Who are our heroes? Probably, well, I think our graduates this year may not even remember Mr. Rogers. Do you guys remember him? You ever heard of him? Well, some of it, some, my kids grew up with Mr. Rogers. And he would put on his sneakers and he'd put on his sweater. He'd speak gently to the kids and invite them into his neighborhood every day. And uh, I think the preschoolers and the kindergartners, they loved him. He was their hero. But probably they moved on to other heroes after him. He was a little too gentle for them in, in that sense. Most of us didn't grow up in a culture of gentleness. Personally, I mean, by the time I got into high school, it was football, and it wasn't cool to be gentle. Then it was motorcycles and that crowd, and then it was uh, racing. I got into car racing for a while, and that was a pretty raucous crowd. Psychologist Dr. Leslie Charles wrote an article called Getting Anger Under Control. She said that America is a pressure cooker society headed for an explosion. 
And she said that this is the cranky code of conduct that most people live by, the cranky code of conduct. Number one, I am entitled to what I want when I want it. Number two, my time is important and I should not have to be inconvenienced by others. I have the right to be impatient or rude when other people are behaving stupidly. I not only have the right to pursue happiness, I deserve to be happy and I'll do whatever it takes to achieve it. I'm too busy to mince around with false politeness and should be able to tell people exactly what I think without having to worry about their feelings. So what if I'm rude? I never have to see that person again, so what difference does it make? My emergencies take precedence over anyone else's emergencies. Well, she adds that those these are obviously not Christian in origin, many of us who claim ourselves as followers of Christ would have to admit reluctantly that all too often we have these attitudes. Our culture mocks the concept of gentleness as it's perceived. But here's another truth, I believe. The virtue of gentleness has been devalued because our culture misunderstands its meaning. And I'm talking about the biblical meaning of gentleness. When, when we think of gentle as it's viewed by our culture, we think of weak, namby-pamby, wimpish, or milk toast, right? That is not at all the biblical meaning of gentleness when you read it in your New Testament. Paul uses the word in various places. A couple, one was in our verse for the week, Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. That word there in the New Testament is epiacus, which means a balanced, intelligent, decent outlook on life. Don't we all want that? And then the other word that he uses in Galatians 5 when he refers to gentleness as one of the fruits of the Spirit is proutus. It means humility, considerateness, meekness. Or best defined as strength under control. The other night, following the graduation, these seniors, along with two sponsors, Pastor Kaino, our chaplain, and Mr. Ashok, uh, they got in a limo, they went to the airport, they were whisked off to Maui, spent the night on the Maui for Project Grad, and then they rode horses the next day. And uh, we got a picture of them over on Maui, and uh, Kaino, Ashok, and our seniors lined up there on horses. And uh, some of these girls had never ridden a horse before. Would you believe that that very day, they taught those kids to come from behind and spring up onto that horse and into the saddle? Well, don't believe it. It's not true, okay? <laughs> okay. What they did is they had a little step stool for them to get up onto the horse. But here's the thing. Each of those horses weighs about 1,000 pounds. What if they had never been trained, unbroken, and these girls unsuspectedly had stepped into the saddle of that horse? That'd be a problem, right? You could be injured like that. But these horses had been trained, and they were gentle. That's strength under control. And that was the meaning that came to the mind of first century hearers of this word, protest. That's what Jesus exhibited. You see, sometimes People think of Jesus as weak. That's a perception that many have. Sometimes you can trace that to some of the paintings of Jesus. Picture him as kind of sissified, 
maybe blonde hair and blue eyes, which he didn't have either of those, but then a sentimental smile on his face and real weak and meek and mild. Well, he was gentle when children were brought to him and when sinners came to him, but sometimes his righteous indignation would burst forth. Like when he looked around in the synagogue and, and they didn't want him to heal a man on the Sabbath. Or like when they brought the woman who'd been caught in adultery and wanted him to condone her stoning. And he saw the hypocrisy in their hearts. Or when he came into the temple and he overturned the money changers' tables and drove them out because they were profiting and exploiting the people who came to the temple. Jesus was gentle, but don't mistake that for weakness. I trust that most of you, I hope, most of you have read C.S. Lewis, all his different kinds of writings, but in particular, uh, his Chronicles of Narnia. You guys read that? Good stuff, huh? Uh, seven books that are for children, but really they're for adults. And uh, we get to have the excuse to read them to our children or our grandchildren because woven throughout those stories are beautiful pictures of spiritual truths. And for instance, in the first one, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, uh, in, in that one, there's a lion. And what's his name? Aslan. And who does he symbolize? Jesus, okay. Well, if you're not familiar with the story, these four kids in England go through this wardrobe in this house they're staying in, and they come out into this land of Narnia. It's a magical land. In fact, the animals talk there. And so they're not very long in the land when they come into the home of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And Mrs. Beaver is explaining to the four kids about Aslan, the great king, and their anticipation of his arrival. And Lucy asks the question, is he safe? And here's the answer. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And Lewis, in that little exchange, I think communicates a powerful truth about Jesus. He's not safe, but he's good. And that is strength under control. In fact, Jesus stood silent sometimes, didn't he? When uh, before Pilate, and before others, as he was on his way to the cross, boy, that was strength under control when they spit in his face and slapped him and punched him and mocked him. King of the universe. And yet there were times where he refused to be silent. And folks, sometimes to be silent itself is sinful, isn't it? When there are outrageous things happening around us, we need to speak up. But yet, have that strength under control. I love this definition of a gentle person, and I don't even know who wrote it. A gentle person is not a weak person, but rather is a strong, secure, mature person who uses their strengths to face real giants and challenges in life, but chooses not to run roughshod over others. And so our culture mocks it, doesn't understand it, but Jesus exhibits it, and he calls us, to learn it. And so Jesus invites us to walk alongside of him where 
We find rest from the stress that has fueled our frustration. I love this passage in Matthew chapter 11. It's an invitation to each of you and me from Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Gentleness and humility go together throughout Scripture. And there he says, you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. First century hearers of Jesus would have immediately had a word picture in their mind of oxen in a double yoke plowing a field because uh, they had the strength to pull that plow behind them. But from this, they would have understood, oh, he's talking about an older ox and a younger one that would be put in yoke with that older mature ox to learn how to walk alongside. And uh, that's what Jesus is saying to us. Because with those two oxen, the mature one and the young one, which one's pulling the load? It's the older one, right? And that's what Jesus is saying to us. If you'll walk alongside of me, you haven't got it together yet. You still have these problems. But if you'll walk alongside of me, you'll learn from me. And here's the thing. You think your burden is heavy, and it is, but I'll pull the load if you will walk alongside of me. That's the invitation that he gives to us. We need it. In 2012, there was an American Medical Association journal study of 13 to 17-year-olds, and it said that 63% of them have anger attacks. And they called it, interestingly, IED, Intermittent Explosive Disorder. I think we can identify with that. Why do we do that? I think it's because of the pressure, the stress that we live under, the deadlines. Sometimes we've overextended ourselves and we just blow up when somebody asks something else of us. Jesus says, no, come alongside of me and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last uh, Sunday morning on the lanai, a uh, Chinese man came up to me. Some of you know we have a Chinese ministry here with uh, scholars, visiting scholars and professors from the university that have come from China primarily. And uh, one of these Chinese men came up to me and said, I'm going to be going back to China in about a month, but before I leave, I'm going to follow Jesus. Said, oh, that's great. And I talked to him about it and was listening to him. He said, yeah, since I've learned about Jesus... The fear is gone, and I find myself being calm. Wow, you're walking alongside Jesus. That's what Jesus will do for us as we release our stress to him. Not only that, but as we walk alongside of him, we learn to respond to others around us with a gentle attitude. Paul expresses it this way in Colossians. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, that's who we are, Put on a heart of compassion. Now, that's our choice, right? Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Among those qualities and virtues, forgiveness is key to being gentle. Because 
I don't know if you've noticed it, but sometimes people frustrate and irritate us. But we're Christians. We just put on a happy face. And we, we don't want to say anything, so we just stuff it until we can't handle it. And then we blow up all over people. That's not gentle. But if we get in the habit of forgiving and keeping short accounts, then it doesn't build up. And we can genuinely be gentle because we're living out the forgiveness that we've received from Christ. So how much should we forgive? How often? Well, no more than Christ has forgiven you. That's the, that's the standard. So if we'll forgive, we'll be gentle. We also learn as we walk alongside of him to respond with a gentle answer. When people don't say something that kind to us. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's a good one to memorize, by the way. I wasn't familiar with that verse. When I graduated from high school, and I went off to college, and I went to work in a department store part-time. And it was a fascinating environment. People there lived in fear because the manager was just a type A driven, angry, domineering guy who just yelled at everybody. Uh, the rest were all women in that store except the stock clerk and he hid in the basement most of the time because he didn't want to encounter the manager. And the ladies, they would kind of slink around trying not to have anything to do with that guy waiting for his day to go golfing because his doctor said he had to get out of the office a couple times a week or he's going to have a heart attack. But he would come to me and he'd yell at me. Well, I just yelled back at him. Of course, that really helped. That just escalated everything. I didn't last there very long, by the way. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stirs up anger. In the home, a calm parent is more effective than a raging lunatic responding to a child. In the workplace, you're going to find this, that uh, a calm employee is more effective than an explosive time bomb. Jackie Robinson, uh, many of you know that name. He was the first African-American to cross the color line in Major League Baseball. It was uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers who invited him in. In fact, there's a book called Saints, Sinners, and Shortstops written by Jim Becker says, four wars, four, 40 countries, and 4,000 characters. He comes to our first service now. He's just started coming about three months ago. He was an AP correspondent from before World War II and through the decades. He, in fact, he wrote a column for the Star Bulletin for about 10 years here in the islands. But he has stories of all kinds of people, uh, world leaders and celebrities and athletes in here. He knew Jackie and Rachel Robinson very well through the years. He interviewed him before that first game and after that game as well. And uh, I learned a lot about Jackie in the chapter on him. But what an amazing athlete, probably one of the greatest athletes at the time in our country uh, when he was picked up by the Brooklyn Dodgers. But then a couple weeks ago on Focus on the Family broadcast with Jim Daly, he interviewed Eric Metaxas who wrote the book Bonhoeffer. And he's also written a couple of books now, Seven Great Women and Seven Great Men. One of those men was Jackie Robinson. And I learned some more things about Jackie during that time. I knew that Branch Rickey, who was the manager of the Dodgers at the time, was a devout Methodist. He took his faith seriously. 
And he felt like that color barrier was immoral. And that one day he'd stand before God and have to answer for his part in that. So he said this, I need to pick a man who is not only a great athlete, but who will understand and agree with me that for two years he will have to turn the other cheek when vicious racists attack him. And they will. He will have to understand that he needs to be strong enough to turn the other cheek. Because if he does not, if he fights back, we will set our cause back 10 or 20 years. Metaxas went on to say in that interview that he'd learned from Roberto Rivera uh, that Ranch Ricky, when he met Jackie Robinson, knew that Jackie also was a devoted Christian, churchgoer. He took his faith seriously. So when he came into Ricky's office in Brooklyn, he opened the book, The Life of Christ by Giovanni Papini. Turned right to the Sermon on the Mount, read that portion to him, and he said to Jackie, I need a man who is strong enough not to fight back. And Jackie was. I mean, they hurled all kinds of in, insults at him and threats upon his life, but he withstood it. And that was folks' strength under control. And God used that for sure. Well, that's what Jesus teaches us to do when we're attacked and assailed. And when it isn't fair is to give a gentle answer. And you know what? When we witness to others about our faith in Christ, sometimes some of us in our zeal have gotten a little aggressive and pushy about that. We don't need to be. In fact, Peter says it this way. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Respect that other person. They're in a different place. We can respect who they are. We can listen to them. We can love them. And then, as we have opportunities, share what Jesus has done in our lives and, and why we worship him with gentleness. Well, so we learn to have a gentle attitude, to give a gentle answer. We also learn as we walk alongside Jesus to respond with gentle actions. Again, that verse of the week let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's right there. We just need to turn to him. Now, that Mr. Rogers that I referred to earlier, he's not the poster boy for strength, power, and yet he had real strength. In the 1997 Daytime Emmy Awards, I read that he was given that award, and he was to speak to all those movie stars, daytime movie stars. So he comes up in front of them to the microphone and here's all the GQ women and men and, and GQ men and glamorous women standing before him. And uh, he looks at them and he says, all of us have special ones who have made or who have loved us into being. Would you just take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? Ten seconds of silence. And they just looked at him. So he lifted his wrist and looked at his audience and said, I'll watch the time. They realized that he wasn't kidding. And uh, they did just what he asked. And as the seconds ticked off, some of the men's jaws grew slack and 
the mascara started running with the women and both men and women shed some tears. And uh, it was apparent that Mr. Rogers was an authority figure. They, had, they realized he actually expected them to do what he had asked and they did it. Well, Mr. Rogers still may not be a hero, but Jesus should be. He had the strength to defeat your greatest enemy, Satan himself, and death and hell, and the gentleness to invite us to walk alongside of him where we could learn to emulate his virtues, including gentleness. Let me close with this. Most of you learned as kids what happens when you're around fire and maybe you catch on fire. There's three words. What do you do? You guys got it. Okay, stop, drop, and roll. Well, after Dee and I were newly married, we used to go on vacation uh, with another couple from northwest Missouri for a few years. One time we went to the Ozarks. The next year we went to Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, we decided one evening we were going to have a picnic. It had been raining all day, but it cleared off. And, you know, sometimes there's just a quiet evening after that. And that's the way it was in Rocky Mountain National Park. And we were in a campground. There were lots of other campers around us, but it was really quiet. We gathered up some wood, kind of built a fire. Uh, but the wood was wet. But I'd been a Boy Scout, and so I'm down here making a little fire at one end of it. Of course, it's the Rocky Mountains. It's not level ground. And uh, so I didn't realize that Lee, uh, he had grabbed a gas can. He said, oh, I'll take care of that fire on this end. Well, it was on a slope. So he's pouring gas on the end before I can realize it and trickled underneath. And all of a sudden, it hit my flame down here. Boom! <laughs> it just blew up, and he's got fire all over him. And he did what any normal sane person would do. He threw the gas can and took off running with a yell. Of course, that fanned the flame, and now he's really burning. And uh, the ladies are yelling at him. I took off running after him. That little guy could run fast, but I was trying to catch him to tackle him. But before I got to him, he realized it, and he dropped and uh, rolled around, and the fire went out. Wow. Um, he made it, okay? No, no damage, but it was pretty exciting there for a while. So this week, there are going to be times when you feel like you're burning up inside with what has happened or what somebody's done to you or said to you. I want to encourage you to stop, drop, and roll. Stop and think about what you're going to say to that person. Drop to your knees, either literally or figuratively if it's more appropriate, and just pray for strength in that situation. And then roll your anger, frustration over to the Lord so that you can respond to that person with gentleness, so that your gentleness will be on display because you realize the Lord is near. Let's bow together. Thank you, Jesus, that you have reached out to us in gentleness. And now, as we walk alongside of you, we can learn day by day what that means and how to live it out in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.